Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, we welcome back Dan Steiner, the president of Preborn, whose mission is to save babies and souls. It's been over a year since we had our last interview together. Dan, how have you been? It's been wonderful. Good progress in leading women to Christ, our evangelism program. The invitation is uh, just making a lot of converts. It continues to show an average increase of about 370% more women coming to Christ. These are women that come into our centers wanting abortions. So it's, it's a deep penetration into our culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's very exciting stuff. And the best is yet to come. We're talking about maybe doing a collaboration with Lee Strobel, who'd be a great guest for your core principles at, at one point as well. Maybe you've already had him on. Uh, no, but if you can hook me up, that'll be great. <laughs> he's an author of Case for Christ. and uh, Well, definitely, uh, I want to catch up with you on how your mission has been progressing, and you've you've highlighted some of those things. And also to discuss the, the upcoming Supreme Court case that may overcome at least a small part of the horror of Roe v. Wade. Um, but first, for the benefit of audience members who may not be well-versed on preborn mission, how do you practically go about this audacious goal of saving babies and saving souls? Practically, how do you do that? Prayerfully and uh, with uh, an eye toward Three different things. One is getting the equipment into the clinics to change the girls' minds, ultrasounds, and so they're ready to deal with the patients that want abortions. And secondly, training them in evangelism so that when they come in, they can they can minister to these women and give them their greatest need, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then thirdly marketing to get them in through Project Arrow, which is an aggressive internet marketing and capacity building grant to, uh, to clinics to get them to uh, reach the girls on the internet and make appointments in our centers and then come in and, and change lives. And it works dramatically. Uh, we're able to just literally uh, flood clinics with women that want abortion. So it's, it's all about taking away the business from the abortion industry in specific geographies. Is an, an ultrasound the most effective tool to lead potentially abortion-minded mother towards a choice for life? Yeah, particularly if you marry an ultrasound with a medical person like a nurse, it really is very effective. Um, if a girl comes in and she wants to abort and uh, sees her baby for the first time, meets that first picture, you know, there'll be many after that, the, you know, the one-year-old pictures, the kindergarten pictures, the prom pictures, the marriage picture, this is the first picture, the ultrasound picture, and that motherly instinct kicks in, and it really makes a big difference. Clay, I got to tell you a, a quick story, if I could show you the power of this. Um, we had a girl come into this very clinic, which I'm sitting in right now, I'm in the office part of it. Um, as you can see about my collection of books here, which you'd have an interest in at some point. 
this lady came in with her boyfriend. She was very abortion-minded, and really it was the boyfriend that was pressuring her, as is so often the case. And so he came into the ultrasound room. They ran up the image of the baby there. He was rather disinterested, paying just a little bit of attention until the baby on the ultrasound screen did a very clear thumbs up. And when that happened, he freaks out. He goes, I do that sign five or six times a day. That's my sign. That's my son. And completely changed uh, the climate of the room. And they chose life dramatically. That's a great example, of maybe not quite that dramatically each time, of what ultrasound can do. Now, in that case, the baby was probably just trying to find his son to suck it, but it sure worked. Well, about how many ultrasound machines has Preborn helped these uh, pro-life pregnancy resource centers obtain? Well, we're on our 32nd machine just this year with a goal of doing 60. We did 40, 42 last year. We've done hundreds. We're the largest uh, provider of ultrasound machines in the country for pregnancy clinics. Now, you mentioned the invitation program. I wanted to ask you about that for the sake of our listeners. Uh, this introduces people to a choice to enter into a saving relationship with Christ. This must have been for preborn, literally a, a leap of faith to first try to implement something like that. How has that program gone compared with any sort of expectations you might have started out with? Well, we we recognized a problem up front, which is that these women are coming into the centers a million a year. And so there's a tremendous evangelism opportunity here. And as we looked into that, what we found was that the centers will share the gospel 80% of the time, but only have a 3% conversion ratio. That's a big disparity. And so we sit carefully about trying to structure a five-segment video series a training that could get at the crux of that problem and remedy it. And uh, we didn't know if it would work or not, but uh, it's been transformative, just transformative to centers. It, it talks about their relationship with the Lord, the importance of the gospel, and uh, just is a great opportunity. It's kind of a plug and play for our clinics to be able to train their people, uh, volunteers and staff alike to do it. And if they use it, uh, as we stated, the effects are dramatic. I mean, we've seen literally thousands of women more come to Christ. Yes, I think you uh, documented in your annual report 6,500 commitments to Christ, and uh, that's changing their eternity, really, from torment in the absence of God to rejoicing in the presence of God. And would you say you're on track to continue that soul-saving success this year in 2021? We're ahead of the game. Yeah. We'll see more this year. Well, 2020 obviously was a remarkable year for most people, but I noticed on your annual report also that you reached nearly 37,000 women. You mentioned some of this up top. And uh all, that was women who were inclined to abort their babies. 31,407, you reported, chose life instead. That is phenomenal. Uh, how is that kind of success sustainable and possible? Well, the sad reality is that there's a, a million women that abort in America a year, and so there's no shortage of need. The question is, can we reach them? What does it take to reach them? 
Uh, we've already talked about the efficacy of ultrasound and changing their minds. We can just get them into the clinic. And so it's not only sustainable clay, but it's scalable, you know, expandable. We're, we're going to see more come to Christ as a result of uh, just infusing more money, frankly, into the, into the mix to buy more AdWords and higher nurse capacity on the ground. They want to be part of that solution. I encourage them to go to preborn.com and let us know you want to volunteer. Maybe you're a nurse, want to volunteer. Or just- well, uh, you're also up against a, a literal mortal enemy of babies, this organization cynically named Planned Parenthood. You know, they were founded by a notorious eugenicist named Margaret Sanger for her stated purpose, using the terminology of her era, of, quote, we want to exterminate the Negro population, unquote. Now, that would make Planned Parenthood the most aggressively racist organization of any significant size in America. But how do you suppose Planned Parenthood never seems to be held accountable for this pernicious evil? Yeah, they're... they're um, pre- prominently Teflon. It's unbelievable. You know, they they did capitulate a little bit. The Margaret Sanger Center uh, in Soho, New York, they had to rename that because they were getting pressure uh, because of the fact that she was a racist eugenicist. She's, uh, But this whole Malthusian philosophy that drives so many of the Power elites on the left was championed and is being championed in this very hour by Planned Parenthood's. I think like 86% of their clinics are in um, ethnic neighborhoods. You know, it's just a very intentional focus on exterminating African American people. And but you know, it's also a money game too. They're in it for money, so they're expanding their operation to telemedicine, uh, which will be irrespective of ge- geographical location to uh, proliferate abortion in the United States. And so, you know, abortion, death delivered to your door is what <laughs> I like mm. to refer to is what it is. You can, right now you can order abortion pills apart from physicians uh, advice online through international sites, which are underwritten by another uh, not so notorious, but even more virulently genocidal uh, organization, which is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that have these international abortion online operations that are forwarding uh, abortion in, in the world. That's where that is where the whole industry is going. Play is to be online. Their desire and stated goal, frankly, is to make abortion as available as over the counter as aspirin. Wow. Well, I I did in researching for this interview find a current statistic in America that currently two hundred and seventy one percent more African-American babies are terminated via Planned Parenthood than other ethnicities. And when you consider the percentage makeup of the uh, the population, it's very obviously still targeted 
as you mentioned, they set up their shops in areas where they think they're going to find their targets that they obviously must hate. It's very sad. Well, let's talk about this upcoming Supreme Court case that may impact abortion laws in the several states. By way of background uh, for listeners, the, the notorious case known as Roe v. Wade, which has been said to have given people a right to murder their children, struck down at its time in 1973 a Texas statute that had banned abortion. The result was to make the question of the legality of abortion one that applied federally rather than state by state. But in 2018, the state of Mississippi passed a law that banned abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. In most circumstances, they included some exceptions. District and appeals courts ruled against Mississippi's ability to make any such law, presumably uh, declaring that no state could make any such law. But the U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to hear this case called Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. And the singular question that the Supreme Court is considering or will consider is whether all pre-viability prohibitions on elective abortions are unconstitutional or whether they can be implemented as they were in Mississippi. So Dan Steiner, uh, how do you think this case will go? Any ideas about it? Well, I think that the case is reflective of a lot of Americans wanting to have these restrictions, you know, in place. And uh, it is, uh, uh, if it is in fact passed, they will return to the state the rights that was stripped from them in Roe versus Wade, where they have the right to put in place their own state abortion restrictions and 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 their and they've been limited in their abortion laws to do that ever since. And so by a act of raw judicial fiat, they rob the states of their of their sovereignty in this particular case. This could return it to that. Whether it will work or not is anybody's guess. I think that there's been not a few cases since even Amy Coney Barrett's uh, ascension to the high court that have not been exactly what I think all of the Trump appointees were expected to do. So I think it's a, I think it's a, anyone's guess how this will actually come down because it's certainly the most visible thing they will probably do, certainly in this session and coming up and perhaps in their entire uh, legacy. Now, if the court affirms the state's rights to resume making their own abortion laws, do you think many states will exercise that right to uh, protect children from murder? I really do, Clay. We've got um, 11 governors that have filed an amicus brief, I think in July, if I'm not mistaken, uh, as to whether all pre-viability prohibitions on elective abortions are unconstitutional or not the cases pending in the Supreme Court now, uh, banning abortion after 15 weeks. But there's at least 11 states right there that are saying, we want the ability to legislate our own geographical territory that we're sovereign over. And so that's, I think, it could return abortion back to pre-Roe, which is a state-by-state matter. What that will look like then and there's more than 11 states that will 
put significant restrictions on abortion, driving women to destination abortion states as it was prior to Roe versus Wade. They'd bus people to New York City from the Midwest, for instance, to have abortions. And so I, I really feel like that's very possibly where it could go if, in fact, the court takes a conservative stance on this potential uh, law. I'm certain that uh, you and I are in agreement that life begins way before any 15 weeks. Um, but isn't 15 weeks, just from a practical standpoint, far too long to leave a child vulnerable to termination, given how early babies can be observed to have heart and brain activity? By the way, listeners, that's uh, five and a half to six weeks currently when heart and brain function can be observed consistently. Isn't 15 weeks pretty long? It is. Um, we're picking up five and a half week babies' hearts all the time, every week in our clinics. And uh, so what standard do you judge that by, Clay? I mean, I think one of the standards, I mean, you and I would say the standard is found in the word of God that, you know, God knew them before they were created in their mother's womb. Yes, and sir. this is one of the, the great conundrums uh, of America, frankly, Clay, if you want to get weighed into it pretty deeply here, at the moment of conception, there's that's a human being. It just lacks time and food. Uh, back to the abortion question, the 15 weeks at, at nine weeks, if you were to take a hair-like probe and brush it over the face of a fetus, we know scientifically he would shrink back. He has sensory perception. So if you use sensory perception, as the fact that you're dismembering a, per, uh, uh, a little person that can feel pain or anything that could feel pain, but we know it's human. Uh, that's a good reason to make it earlier. I've always thought that there could be a practically agreed upon standard for this based on just existing law. We have already uh, laws that define when life ends, and that has to do with the cessation of heart function and brain function. And so if you ask any third grader, what's the opposite of the end, they would say the beginning. Well, then the beginning of life per that legal standard would have to be at least when you have heart and brain function. Uh, that wouldn't require any faith in the word of God uh, on the part of lawmakers to just practically say we have a duty to protect these human lives uh, that are legally recognizable as alive. Yeah, it seems like a, a great and consistent standard to apply. Um, and we know there's great inconsistency in the application of this. You know, if a, a person that murders a pregnant woman and you know they're convicted of a double murder taking the life of a baby or even in an, in an auto accident so um, one can't ever convict the left of consistent rationality that's certainly the case here well dan steiner you you have a very uniquely excellent point of view on the overall state of the abortion industry 
in America. Do you have hope and reasons to be optimistic that pro-life persons are going to overcome the anti-life forces that seek to terminate as many children as they can? Should we be hopeful? Are we turning the tide at all? I think that there's several very encouraging points to look at in response to your question. One is that uh, the Gen Z and millennial generations are markedly more pro-life than what the boomer or uh, Gen X generations have been. So the young people coming up see the issue for what it is. Uh, the March for Life has had better attendance of young people than any time in the history of Roe versus Wade. That's an encouraging point. Who knows what this court will do? It's certainly stacked to have the proclivity to potentially do it, but we'll see how that actually falls out in actuality. Um, one nice thing, Clay, is that as we in the compassion arm of the pro-life movement, which is the pregnancy centers, can unite pooling resources, collaboratively reaching women in these big metropolitan areas, uh, we, can, we can significantly, in a practical way, tactically, if not strategically, limit many, many more abortions. It's just a matter, frankly, of donation. Uh, we can get that, we can fund it, why we can certainly reach these women. That It's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. While the, while the left is using technology to further chemical abortion over the internet, this provides us an opportunity to forward uh, reaching these women on the internet as well. Yes. And uh, again, I want to uh, amplify what you said, uh, encourage listeners to visit preborn.org and get involved in this life-saving mission. Uh, well, thank you very much, Dan Steiner, for joining me again on Core Principles, and uh, God bless you. My pleasure. Thanks for having us on. Core Principles podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July. L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.